Welcome to Follow Your Kind Podcast, a show where we explore the meaning of kindness and how we can express it in our daily lives. My name is Christina and I'm your host. All right, and we are up with Ryan from the Humane League. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Christina. And we are sitting in front of the beautiful sunset at Emory Hospital. Don't tell anybody, but we're crushing the party in here. Well, I'm so excited that you agreed to be interviewed by me. Um, I cannot wait for our conversation and get to know you a little bit more, both on your um, personal journey as well as as the amazing work that you do with the Humane League. Um, I met you seems like just a few months ago. No, it was more than just a few months ago. We met in summer, right? During the uh, Team Humane. No, I wasn't here yet. I think... Uh, but you were virtually here. I moved here just before Halloween. Oh, really? And I think we met... Uh, it was at one of the social events in... Uh, was it Lawrence's Cafe? Yeah, but I feel like when we were... fun. Oh, that's right. Because we were fundraising with Team Humane. It was through the fall. And then in December, we were... Okay. Yeah. yeah the dates are running together. Okay. But I think you and I were communicating... On social media that's and right. like that for Team Humane long before we actually met in person. That's right. That's right. Now that makes sense. And uh, for, for those listening and who are not aware, Team Humane was a was it considered a subdivision of the Humane League um, yep. that was specifically for um, athletes or wannabe athletes yeah, <laughs> to commit? Our, yeah. It's our fundraising arm, basically, mm-hmm. of the Humane League. You're exactly right. It, it takes advantage of, you know, how strong vegan athletes are and what we can do together. So... Um, yeah, thank you for all the tremendous, you know, hard work you did and running the half mile. Oh, thank you. you. <laughs> yes, half marathon. I'm sorry, half marathon, not half mile. Half marathon was a little longer than a half mile. <laughs> <laughs> I considered it an accomplishment, but it was so much fun. And yeah. uh, thank you for organizing it as well and being part of it. Okay, so let's dial it back. Uh, Ryan, let's tell me a little bit more about yourself, where you're from, and how you got into the movement. Yeah, happy to. So, um, my story goes back to Northeast Ohio. That's where I grew up, about 40 miles east of Cleveland in this semi-rural town called Chardon. Uh, it's a place full of maple trees and has a pretty prominent Amish population. So I kind of you know, didn't get out much until probably about college where mm-hmm. I moved about three hours south to Columbus. Um, and I lived there for about uh, 10 years, just over 10 years. Uh, that's kind of where, you know, my activism started. Mm-hmm. It was about uh, three years ago over in Columbus, Ohio. Wait, your activism started only three years ago in Columbus, Ohio? And you're such a rock star today. That's <laughs> really, that's really impressive. Yeah. Oh my God, I can only imagine where you're going to be in three years from today. <laughs> well, the nice thing was that, yeah, when you're in like a place such as Columbus, Ohio, it's not a big name place like Atlanta or New York City. Mm-hmm. So... There was so many opportunities there for me to get involved and to take ownership. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a good point. Yeah. So there's a lot of progress you can make in, in a town like Columbus. Okay. So tell me what what strike stroke accord with you? How did you how did you get into it? It was well. I've been vegan for a 
couple years when I started uh, getting into activism. Before that, so like five, six years ago you became vegan? Yes. Okay. Yeah, can, I, say, can I ask why? Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of a, my vegan story was, I was about 25 and I was uh, seeing somebody who was vegetarian. Mm -hmm. uh, she was the first person I'd ever met who was vegetarian, never met anybody like that before. So mm -hmm. we did not, we didn't date that long, but just it left a profound impact on me. So I spent like the next six months or so just researching vegetarian meals that I could pack with me to go to work. Mm -hmm. um, and that, and then I made the commitment to go and veg or to try vegetarian and I never looked back. And what was your motivation? Was that health? Was it animals? Was it environment? What was it that got you? Which door did you come through? Yeah, this is interesting. It was neither. It was purely just a culinary curiosity. Culinary curiosity. Yeah. I've never heard that before. <laughs> that is quite interesting. I just, I just saw it as fascinating uh, to me. Uh, you know, again, growing up in a semi-rural area where you don't mm -hmm. meet people who are vegetarian or different lifestyles, so. Um, I was very curious, uh, so I wanted to try it and see what would happen. Mm -hmm. And nothing but great things happened. You know, I stopped getting sick, I was sleeping better, I had more energy. Um, and then it wasn't until, you know, I'd say I was a vegetarian for maybe 10 months, I don't know, maybe less. Mm -hmm. uh, I started uh, seeing somebody who was vegan. And oh, good. Yeah. Got it. It's like a career ladder almost. Exactly. Vegetarian, vegan. <laughs> Through dating. I love it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she, she wasn't pushing it on me. She mm -hmm. was, you know, totally content with how I was. But she was, uh, she introduced me to Sunrise Sanctuary in Marysville, Ohio. So it's uh, about 40 minutes outside of Columbus. Um, I got to meet farm, animal, farm animals, you know, really for the first time outside of, like, you know, Amish farming and things like that, where they were used for work. So um, that was it. That was what I needed to see, what I needed to experience. And then I went vegan right after that. Okay. That is so interesting. So you haven't really been exposed to farm animals or farm animals living in, I guess you can't really say farm animals in natural environment, but farm animals living happy, not being raised for being eaten before. Right. And then after you've witnessed that, that kind of what changed your mind? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where I came from, you know, yeah, it's a lot of agriculture. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of horse and buggies and a lot of farming operations and a lot of my family's hunters. So, you know, just a different view of, of, of animals and they're just not having a lot of respect for them. So it just was so eye-opening Yeah. just to be eye-to-eye -eye with a cow and a pig, you mm -hmm. know. So that really was what kind of pierced the veil. And, you know, I became vegan for the animals. So when vegetarian as a culinary curiosity, but I went vegan for the animals. That is amazing. It's so interesting because, I mean, everybody has such a different experience, but I feel like we still end up with the same thing. So I grew up in Ukraine and uh, um, I, I spent many summers in my uh, grandmother's dacha, which is like a summer cottage, which is which was very close to different villages. And in Ukraine, people raise like chickens and cows, and you know, some for for meat and some for dairy. But it's it's it was I never really like made sense. But I think I tried I tried so hard to overlook it for myself because I remember growing up with like 
cows and like every cow had a name like we loved the neighbor's cows and they were like pets but then at the same time there was this kind of overshadowing of like a, a, a doom coming at the end and I don't think I ever really like put it together or were able to come to grips with what it really meant until I switched my lifestyle and it just always mesmerized me that the power that we have to like fool ourselves or like to wear the bag of illusion and justifying our actions but yeah that's really interesting um, okay so and are there a lot of vegetarians or vegans in Ohio well yeah soon after you know I started I basically uh, was on Facebook and I saw you know, some post about, do you want a leaflet um, here in Columbus? So I responded, it was uh, Michael Nielsen. Uh, if you don't know him, he was the national volunteer coordinator with Mercy for Animals uh, a I few think years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he just said, uh, you know, okay, great. Yeah, I'm gonna get you in touch with, uh, with Ashley and, you know, you guys can meet up on this date. So I just went blindly into it. Um, it started out pretty slowly, uh, her and I, just it was in the dead of winter up in Ohio and we leafleted like every single week for a couple hours and we just kept doing that week after week just the two of us and then eventually it grew and you know we got in touch with the student group over at Ohio State University uh, so then soon you're finding eight people ten people twelve people who are so coming cool. out to you know leaflet with you and mm -hmm. then it, it just it evolved and we were doing table events and you know showing pay-per-views, showing undercover footage, um, doing protests and giving presentations at high schools. And you quickly learn that there is, yeah, there was a, there's a huge bustling, you know, vegetarian and vegan community, even in Columbus, Ohio. So that very cool. animated group down up there. <laughs> so was that with Mercy for Animals or was that with human with a Humane League that you were doing or it was separate? Back then, it was with Mercy for Animals. Okay. So Columbus, Ohio was actually the original headquarters for the organization before, because mm -hmm. Nathan's from Ohio. Yeah, I just actually read his book. Oh, Mercy great. Mercy for Animals. So amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it amazing was, it's book. amazing. Um, but yeah, he they had moved the home office to LA several years before I got active, but it was the old headquarters um, for MFA back in the earlier days. Wow. So How still inspiring was that <laughs> to be at the beginning where or where Mercy for Animals began? That is crazy. Yeah. Okay. So and it's still hard for me to fathom that you like it's such a recent, relatively recent thing for you and you like you achieved so much already. I don't know. I feel I you're here in my book for sure. Oh <laughs> that's pretty cool. Thank you. Okay, so where does the move take place from there? How did you get to Atlanta? How did you get involved with the Humane League? Yeah, I so you know, I did the, the thing in Columbus, Ohio for a really long time. I was, you know, I had a long career in actually private aviation. I worked in flight ops uh, for most of my adult life. So I'm sorry, are you a pilot? No, but I worked with pilots um, wow. at a private uh, jet company. A so, private jet company? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's called NetJets. Uh, so yeah, they're just a, they're a private jet company. So I would basically arrange flights for private jet owners. Um, wow. And I was responsible for monitoring their flights and making sure that we chauffeured them, got the right food on board, <laughs> you know, all the bells and whistles. That is so interesting. Yeah. That's such a, I've never heard of a job like that. Is, is it like a, a niche, relatively niche position? Very niche, yeah. Mm. They're the only real company that does it the way they do it. Um, but that was my, that was my education, was mm -hmm. in aviation. 
So wow. a business degree for the focus on aviation. It was my first love, um, was really was planes and being up in the sky. So, but, you know, I, through activism, you know, I didn't start out knowing that this was going to end up being my passion, mm-hmm. but, you know, over time, I just was realizing that I could multiply the good that I was doing in the world by just going out a couple hours every week and in my off time and leafleting with friends. I love it. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more what exactly leafleting is and what takes place when you do that? Yeah. Um, so leafleting is uh, simply just you have stacks of pamphlets, usually trifold. Um, they try the real simple messaging. You're not selling anything. You're just giving information out. Mm-hmm. So um, typically we would go to concerts or festivals mostly on any given day I would go to the university gym uh, and catch students coming in and out of the gym uh, and basically you just stand there uh, it's better always with a buddy and you you say you know information to help animals <laughs> mm-hmm. and you hand them a leaflet and the leaflet basically shows you what goes on behind factory farming but then it also shows you ways that you can help so ways to decrease your meat consumption or your dairy and egg consumption. So mm-hmm. um, it's a very efficient uh, and effective way of, you know, uh, sparing animals uh, from being brought into existence. So, And how do you define efficiency and effectiveness from that? Because I, 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 I'm changing my mind now because I'm more, much more engaged with with you guys and hearing the stories of you and some other people with the Humane League, but I remember my initial reaction when I heard of leafleting was, it's like, it's 2018, do we still do leafleting? <laughs> but then, like, it, it's beginning to make sense, but explain me what, what do you mean by efficiency and, and, and effectiveness of leafleting? Yeah, it's, it's efficient because just from a cost perspective, um, you know, it, it's very inexpensive to print out leaflets. Um, on a on a normal day uh, with a couple hours, I could get out several hundred leaflets, maybe three to four hundred leaflets. Um, and you know, I know they're 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 always doing research on this, but you know, kind of what I always kept in mind was like, you give this leaflet to somebody and they're going to read it, they may go to the, that their next meal might be vegetarian, mm-hmm. so you're decreasing you know the purchasing of animal products through that. So it's a cumulative effect. Um, you can send them, also leafleting, you can send it to everyone. Anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really something re- that I enjoyed doing with somebody else, you know. And, yeah, there's just not a, hard to find an easier way. It takes, like, it's easy, you don't have to do much organizing. Just go find a good spot. And What are some of the best spots? <laughs> uh, definitely on a university, it's kind of... In between classes mm-hmm. are the best times to leaflet. So when classes are coming in and out and you can get like a section where students are close together, like maybe between buildings mm-hmm. uh, is one. Or like I would go on the weekends because I was working. So I would go to the gym because classes weren't in session. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is uh, concert halls. So when people are waiting in line to go to concerts, you can go ahead and leaflet to the people who are standing outside. and. Uh, I would sometimes go up to Chicago and you can go right by a subway entrance so oh, as people are coming out. I can only imagine. Yeah. So anywhere you can get a steady line of people mm-hmm. is a great place to leaflet. And do you meet a lot of resistance? Like what does your usual 
lift leading session look like? Are people like, oh, I don't want any, any of your paper, or are people curious and well receiving to the message? What does it look, usually look like? It's actually more often than not, people take the leaflet and then they keep walking. Okay. So if you're somebody who doesn't want to interact very much with people, believe it or not, leafleting is a great uh, activity that you can do. Really? Because um, mm -hmm. I would think the opposite. Yeah. No, it doesn't happen all that often. Maybe one person every couple hours would want to turn around and just be like, well, what is this? Mm -hmm. And you just explain it just like I did. You know, I say it's some information on factory farming and then on the back are ways you can do to help. Mm -hmm. And they're both, oh, great. <laughs> then they keep going. So, um, yeah, I've very rarely, occasionally I'll, I'll run into, like at Ohio State, there's a big animal science department. So people who are majoring in farming <laughs> and animal agriculture, you know, you all have conversations with them. But more often than not, you know, it's really just they take it and they and they keep walking. Mm -hmm. Okay, sorry, I took you off trail. I, I was just curious always how leafleting works. No, my, the, the furthest my leafleting went was promoting nightclubs when I first came to States. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I did meet a little bit of resistance then, but I'm sure it's different when you do it for a cause. Okay, so uh, where we were, are, we, are you moving to Atlanta yet? No, not yet. So okay. I, um, I, don't know, I think it was maybe, I will say it's about a year ago, I, I kind of made the decision that this was something that I wanted to do full-time. Oh my god, I cannot believe it's this recent. Congratulations, yeah. <laughs> it's like a recent career change. That's oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah, uh, so I, you know, talked with a lot of my mentors, uh, got their opinions, mm -hmm. even like tried to educate myself as, as much as I could. Took a nonprofit fundraising class, um, you know, read a lot of books, took a writing class, you know, just really wanted to set myself up to be a good candidate to in the animal rights movement full time. And then this uh, this opportunity came up, uh, actually this time a year ago, uh, to be a social media intern with the Humane League. So wow. <laughs> I, you know, interviewed with our director of new media, John Oberg. Uh, Is that the smiley face that I get in the emails every time at the bottom, right from the Humane League? John, John, what's his last name? Oberg, John Oberg. Maybe, okay. I wonder, yeah. He's um, he's the savviest man I've ever met as far as social media goes. The really? Man is a, yeah, he's a wizard <laughs> with Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So um, yeah, he, he took me on as his intern. He was just starting it out, so I was one of four interns uh, that worked for him. Mm -hmm. uh, I predominantly uh, did the Twitter for the National Humane League account, and then I answered uh, Facebook messages, all the incoming Facebook messages that we got into the National Facebook account. I responded wow. to each and every one. So it was supposed to be like a three-month internship, and it ended up, I just said, let's keep this going. <laughs> and I did it for almost seven months. Mm -hmm. um, and then at that time, there was an opportunity to, you know, to be a grassroots coordinator here in Atlanta. So I applied and uh, got accepted. So I thought this was great, you know, working for an organization who I was already interning with, doing grassroots work, which I had been doing for years. Um, so I got to put the two together and, you know, make a career out of working with the Humane League. So, um, yeah, I got the offer and three weeks later, <laughs> I went to Charlotte for training and then came back to Ohio for a brief moment to get my things. And then I was here just before Halloween. 
That is incredible. <laughs> so it's moved fast. Yeah. I did not realize all of that, but yeah. that is so cool. But that's another thing that I'm curious about and what I like personally when doing my research in the Humane League before starting to fundraise for them was the real intentionality of how you guys do things and all the training that goes into it and you know all the planning and all the structure and the business perspective and metrics perspective with performance indicators so it's not like it's not like just a group of people who got together and thought it would be a good idea to save animals you guys commented with intention and with a strategy yes um so that that was my perspective and then you uh what was it five years or six years in a row that you're you won the top uh charity would you talk a little bit about that yeah um i mean you're exactly right we're the only organization to have ever received the top charity award from animal charity evaluators for every single one of their rating periods. So I think they just did their fifth one, maybe their fourth or fifth one. So yeah. Um, That's outstanding. Yeah. So and it just goes to show that, yeah, the Humane League's, you know, ruthlessly efficient. Um, we want to make sure that we use that dollar that we get donated to us and make sure we save as many animals as we can ruthlessly efficient i love that um and uh, so what are some of the other organizations that maybe are runner-ups is it what mercy for animals the good food institute what what are the others yeah there's um yeah i think mercy for animals is usually um in that same category they were not nominated uh for 2017 i'm not quite sure why but uh, the good food institute was also a uh, top uh charity and then i think some of the other Big names are like vegan outreach and animal equality. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So let's transition to the Humane League. Um, would you talk a little bit about what the organization is, what it stands for, and how do you fit in where your role comes with yeah. the organization? Um, so yeah, the Humane League's mission is really to empower change and drive progress. So you know, one thing that we're always told is you know, change is always going to be inevitable. So we're constantly evolving our tactics to make sure that we're doing everything as efficient as possible. Mm -hmm. um, we even have a division called Humane League Labs that, uh, you know, studies how effective we are at what we do. So just to make sure that we're staying on the cutting edge. Um, right now, what we're really focused on is institutional campaigns uh, for broiler chickens. Okay. Uh, we call it the 88% campaign. Mm -hmm. Uh, the reason why we call it that is because 88% of all uh, farm animals that are slaughtered every year are actually chickens used for meat, so broiler chickens. So vastly larger than any other um, animal out there. So we figure that any work that we can do to benefit broiler chickens is going to affect the largest number of animals. Right. So you're you're being very wise with the efforts and the resources that you have available in order to produce the most impact you have, you can, with the resources that you have available. Exactly, yeah. It'd be nice, you know, if we had unlimited resources right. and time that we would tackle all issues. But, you know, we try to run like a business. We've got limited time and resources, so what are you going to focus that on? So we're trying mm. to focus it on what's going to give us the most impact and get us the biggest result. And right. That's, that's broiler chickens. So. And can you give, uh, I don't know if you know them from the top of your head, uh, numbers. I know you said 88% is the, the percentage of the chickens from the total number of animals slaughtered. What is the, the actual count? So the actual count, it would be close to 8 billion. 8 billion animals. In the U.S. Only in the United States of America are slaughtered. And what every year? 
And Correct. what does that include? So chickens, what else? That's what it. Else? Broiler chickens, yeah. Wow. Wait, so this is just a number for the broiler chickens? Correct, yeah. There's about 9 billion animals, uh, farm animals that are slaughtered every year in mm -hmm. the United States. So 88% of that, you know, probably just under maybe almost 8 billion. Wow. Just for one, yeah, one animal, so. That definitely makes sense why you would focus on this group. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then what, um, so you said corporate outreach is the focus of your efforts within yeah. that campaign? Yeah, so we find that we're, we're really efficient um, at getting corporations to enact higher welfare standards for broiler chickens. So they in turn have to mandate that their suppliers comply with these, you know, higher standards. That makes sense. Yeah, as opposed to, you know, legislation, which can take a very long time and is bound geographically to a certain state, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we find that if we, you know, strategically target corporations and we ask, you know, them to enact these higher welfare standards, that they in turn, you know, that affects their supply, you know, the, the farmers that are raising these animals. And so that's how we're, that's how we're raising the water. Got it. So it's like a trickle down effect or rather exactly. backwards. Yep. Um, can you talk exactly what is the broiler chicken? Yes. Uh, so broiler chicken is un unlike an egg laying hen um, who's bred to be very small so that she can be packed in with a lot of other hens into a cage. A broiler chicken is is the opposite. It's bred to grow so unnaturally large and so unnaturally fast that, you know, many of these animals have, you know, health issues like organ failures or their legs are, can't support their own weight. They live in, you know, windowless sheds in their own waste. So they're just, in the last 60 years, they're growing, they've grown five times quicker than they used to in only half the time. So. Wow. I remember during the, the gala celebration, Andrea made a comparison that if a person grew at the rate that a chicken grows today, then it would reach a, a weight of what and what time? Do you remember that? I can't remember exactly. I yeah. think it was like 500 pounds in three years or even less than that, but it was something crazy. Yeah. With the same organs and heart and skeletal structure right. you know, for an infant. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. These are, these are bas basically, these are still chicks they're still babies but they they're just so monstrously huge you wouldn't believe that they still can chirp and you know it's just it's horrible oh. how yeah, yeah how they've come and how they've been gene you know genetically modified right um, to be this large many people don't know that yeah so it's not only if not only that that 8 billion of broiler chickens are slaughtered every year but those chickens don't even have any kind of decent life by any means They're on to top suffer. of their death they also are born to, to suffer their whole short limited life yeah that is terrible they're bred to suffer yeah so it's part of what we want is you know what, we're, what we ask for is you know for them to use a higher you know welfare bird one that's not going to be you know growing so grotesquely large that it has health issues and sometimes doesn't even live before it's sent to slaughter. Right. Okay, so you're trying to basically achieve any kind of incremental change uh, possible, and you're, you're confronting 
corporate corporations and companies rather than going at legislation because legislation takes more time yes yeah exactly okay. so you can you, we have a we have a very great corporate relations team that goes ahead and you know is having conversations with corporations about you know where their broiler chickens are supplied from and so they do a lot of the, the work in getting you know these policies put in place um, but every so often you know you run into a corporation who's not willing to discuss and then that's when it comes to the grassroots team and that's where right. I step in mm-hmm. I remember talking to Megan um, in the fall I believe but I was, I was interviewing her and I think she was in a similar role that you're in right now and I remember something that captured my attention was uh, she was describing the approach that the humane uh, league has is similar to the one-two punch to where you have a, a corporate relations and uh, companies approach to where you talk to companies but at the same time you also have this grassroots movements team that they go and protest basically in a respectful silent but very um very profound manner and so when you're not able to uh, reach the desired outcome in corporate negotiations or if it's not happening fast enough you always have that second punch to rely on to where they basically would you would go and have a group of people with with signs asking for change in front of whatever corporation you're talking to and then the corporation is a lot more willing to make the changes that you ask them to do exactly. so that was a very smart approach that's a very great way of putting it so yeah we we always give a corporation a chance to do the right thing mm-hmm. and to adopt these higher welfare policies but if they're they're not willing to talk to us or if they're not willing to comply for whatever reason the grassroots team is always ready and waiting to mobilize and mm-hmm. will act if they if they ask us to that is so interesting what were can you share some of the recent wins maybe that you had with other some of the companies that were able to produce a policy or where you reached any kind of a goal that you set for yourself yeah um, so I think our, our most notable win uh, is subway so over the summer Um, probably in the early summer this was before me this was uh, when Megan was uh, the grassroots director mm-hmm. we started a subway campaign and it really only took a few short months before subway saw the error of their ways and uh, the subway came, did what saw the error of their ways and mm-hmm. came out with a, uh, a brother chicken welfare policy um, we're actually uh, ramping up a campaign right now against uh, McDonald's mm-hmm. uh, so that's that gonna is be major it is yeah uh, easily going to be our biggest campaign that we've ever done so it's going to involve you know as many volunteers and support that we can get in the Atlanta area and in our other grassroots cities um, but basically last October uh, McDonald's came out with a pretty hollow welfare policy for their boiler chickens it didn't cover the breed of the chicken like we discussed you know it didn't address that so Um, and it also failed on a number of other ways so um, it has the basically we're just gonna want to let McDonald's know that publicly you know this is not okay and that they need to it's 2018 they need to get in line with all of these other companies who are putting in these policies and it would you know McDonald's is huge you know they right. have close to I think about five percent of the purchasing of broiler chickens so a win for, uh, against McDonald's would be a huge win for animals. That is incredible. And when you're talking about McDonald's, are we talking 
statewide, nationwide, worldwide? Nationwide, I believe. Nationwide. Yep, definitely nationwide. Wow, that would be major. Um, okay, uh, let's see. So we covered some of the wins. What are, where do you think the most challenges are come from? Or what, what are some of the most challenging things that are part of your job? Um, you know, it's, I'd say, jokingly, it's the traffic <laughs> in Atlanta. <laughs> You know, that's, that is something that I oh, never well, had Well, that to. is your biggest challenge, you know, traffic is bad. <laughs> <laughs> You're finding a McDonald's here, but traffic is your biggest concern. Right. We're in a good position. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think it's a, you know, as far as being able to, to get places and, you know, holding mm. events. So, um, make, you know, I'm sure it, it affects everybody here, so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always curious. I remember also when I was talking to Megan or and any all the other people, amazing people who work in this is just groundbreaking organizations. How do you deal? Cuz obviously the dilemma is that you come into this role because you are so open-hearted and you love animals so much and and you are so full of love, but how do you work in in this roles where you see the suffering of animals every single day and it's you it's the part of your job to look at it every day how do you deal yeah it, it's and it affects a lot of people you know in, in many different ways uh, for me I always you know I had a lot of examples when I was in Columbus you know these like little glimmers where I was handing a leaflet to somebody and they're like oh I got that from you last week and you know we end up having a conversation mm -hmm. you know and they're open to making progress, you know, and reducing their need. Or um, I had a table event at a festival, and then somebody emailed me later and they said they went vegan uh, because, because oh, of what they saw. That is so cool. So it's those little victories that, you know, for me keeps me mm -hmm. keeps me going, and I always keep those you know those interactions in my mind. And, right. You know, for me, it's it's a real it's a slow but bright passion that I really have for the cause and so yeah. I just I have a lot of faith that you know the work that we do is helping animals even though I'm not actually like face to face with an animal I'm not rescuing them from a factory farm but just from my experience as an activist you you get these like little opportunities where you know that what you're doing is the right thing and that it's making an impact right I just admire so much you and other people who are quitting their aviation jobs or what Megan was, she was an architectural, uh, something architect, architectural design who are quitting their careers and are not afraid or have rather, not necessarily not afraid, but they're more passionate and more uh, faithful rather than afraid and courageous enough to follow their passion and do what it is they love. I mean, it's so admirable. I respect you so much for that. I do it again in a heartbeat. That's really cool. So, okay, uh, so you find that rewarding when you hear from people. Where else do you see hope? What gives you hope? I see hope, um, you know, from what I read in social media, you know, or I see like business trends for me. Okay. You know, being a business major, um, that's still very interesting to me. So seeing that businesses are more, more and more investing in plant-based products mm -hmm. and seeing the availability of you know these options for us at grocery stores it seems like year after year it just gets better and better 
mm-hmm. more options available. New companies are forming, new products are coming out. So yeah. Um, I think, I don't know if you have a favorite example, I think the, the one that captures my attention the most was that, that didn't Tyson Chicken invested in the clean, what, which which of the clean means, Beyond Burger maybe? Yeah, Beyond One Meat. Of them? Beyond Meat, that, that's right. Um, I just think that that's incredible. I mean, and I know there is some dilemma and maybe co- contradiction about, you know, well, do you support, do you not support because they're such a big, but then I think at the end of the day, at least the way things are right now, unless, unless plant-based vegan movement, unless that becomes profitable, I mean, that being profitable, those businesses being profitable is the best chance that we have for for a victory in that area because until until it makes sense financially i think it's not going to become mainstream right and just as you said seeing that investment from from business perspective is, is very much it's very hopeful and very promising yeah yeah and i think you're right i think tyson's even stepped it up and correct me but i don't know i think they may have been investing in other plant-based companies as well and maybe even coming out with their own so Maybe I, I know I think I only heard about one, but I wouldn't be surprised because it, yeah. it would make I mean, it was recent it makes sense for them. It was recent. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great to hear. Okay, so uh, just a few questions, random questions. <laughs> what are some of your favorite restaurants in Atlanta? Ah, okay. <laughs> Does Peace Love and Pizza count? Sure. Yeah. I haven't been there actually yet, so that's going to be on my list now because okay. I've been craving some pizza. It's uh, just outside of Atlanta, so I, I'm currently living in Marietta, um, and when I first moved down here, I, I moved in with some friends up in Woodstock, mm-hmm. so there's about four or five of these Peace Love and Pizzas uh, in and around the area. Oh, cool. And I'm going to look it up. Yeah, they've got a whole uh, vegan menu, so vegan calzones, vegan oh, pizzas, vegan munchies. It's kind of like a hippie 60s flower child themed <laughs> pizza place. I love that. <laughs> That's perfect. Okay, what's your favorite meal? Or the one that comes to mind right now? Oh, man. I think, since I've been here, this was, uh, I had my first Impossible Burger mm-hmm. when I was here. I'm not a big, like, I don't necessarily crave burgers a whole lot. I'm on the same page. Um, and I'm totally fine with, like, a black bean burger, you know, a homemade burger. But uh, anyway, that was just, for me, it was mind-blowing. So I had that at grind. And, uh, I haven't been there. I've tried my first Impossible Burger at uh, what was the place where we were getting together? Yeah, yeah, Burger, yeah, yeah Burger. Burger or something. Yeah, yeah, I tried it there. It was really good. Mm-hmm. It was really good. I was surprised. It was like a little creepy at the beginning, just because I I haven't eaten meat in so long, and like yeah. it doesn't. I'm not, I don't necessarily crave the taste as you said the same way. But like the the thing, and they like t- they asked you how you wanted to be cooked, like me or what? Yeah, it's been a long time since I've been asked. <laughs> right? That. Yeah, no, it was just a fun experience, also. Right. I think more than anything, yeah, it was just, yeah, a lot of conflicting emotions at all at the same time while I'm eating. It was right. Really exciting. <laughs> um, what's your? Do you have a favorite book? Uh, related or unrelated to? Oh. The topic that we're talking about it doesn't matter. I would say right now the one, well, Nathan Runkle's Mercy for Animals book is definitely a must read. It's, okay. it's a big page turner. Um, Tobias Leonard's, if I'm pronouncing his last name right, he's the vegan strategist. You can find him on, on Facebook. I think it's veganstrategist.com. But uh, he wrote a book, uh, How to Create a Vegan World, A Pragmatic Approach. And... I 
that sounds cool. Yeah, I I love his book. He's uh, again, yeah, he's just very very pragmatic and he's very challenging. So he just tries he questions mm -hmm. our long standing tactics. Um, I'm gonna have to look it up. That sounds very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, that's really cool. Do you have what's your favorite activity? Do you have a hobby? I love I love camping. Camping? Yeah, cool. yeah, big camper. I haven't done it yet here in Georgia, but it was a big thing that I used to like to do in Ohio. Um, uh, basically, kind of being like Henry David Thoreau mm -hmm. and just going into the woods for a week and just unplugging from society for a little bit definitely recharges my batteries. We should do, we should plan something for Team Humane. Because I would love to go camping here. I mean, mountains, there are like mountains everywhere. It's so beautiful here. We have to do it. Turn it into a hike yes. and camp activity. Yeah, I'd be oh all my for God. that. The fire, can we burn, is that kosher to burn the fire and sing songs around it? In some places, yeah. It's okay. a wet, yeah. Yeah, we should do that. <laughs> that <laughs> I'd be all good. for that. That sounds good. Okay, um, is, there, is there anything else that you want to share with listeners, maybe... If you could get on top of the mountain and shout something, like what would you say? Is there something that you can communicate to, to the listeners that they can start doing today to improve their lives, to improve the life of animals or the world? What would it be? I would say it's get out and volunteer. So, you know, it, it, it was just, you know, planting a seed. You never know how it's going to grow, what it's going to do. Um, that story is true for me. You know, I was went out one really cold winter Saturday in the middle of winter, and it was what started, you know, where I'm at today. And I wasn't even sure at all what I was doing or why I was doing it. Um, so, yeah, my biggest advice is get out and, you know, go volunteer. So whatever you're passionate about, just, you know, volunteer and do that. And I love it. if you're not sure what you're passionate about, like I was, and you're vegetarian, vegan, or veg curious, then come join us at the Humane League. So we're gonna, we have plenty, plenty of volunteer opportunities and we need all that we can get. Right, that's really cool. And I think my favorite part about the Humane League is uh, that like you don't have to be vegan. Like people are so welcoming. People are not judgy at all. Like yeah. nobody's gonna be there like smurfing at you if you're, I don't know. So it's, it's very, very welcoming, well-meaning, loving, fun, um, interesting, creative community of people. So don't be intimidated. <laughs> no. Yeah. We've all, you know, if you're just thinking, starting to think about it, you know, we've all been there. I was there. So right. I'm not going to judge. In fact, I want to help you. So, you know, I want to do everything I can to move that needle and to inch you along, you know, towards that inevitable goal of, you know, veganism. Mm -hmm. It's good for the animals, good for your health, good for the planet. I know. Okay. So uh, to my last question. So the, the name of the podcast and my blog is Follow Your Kind. And um, my idea for that is uh, if everybody had the access to the information that me and you have, that everybody would make very similar choices. So it's not, people are not eating animals or um, the, the, any kind of uh, negative action that one may take is not due to their negative intention, but rather to uh, the lack of the necessary information that they could do otherwise. So um, I think everybody could define their own kindness and then follow 
that value to the best of their ability. So my question is what kindness means to you and how do you find ways to follow your value of kindness on your, in your daily life? Yeah, for me, um, kindness means having respect and being open-minded. Mm-hmm. I think that's, those are values that I hold to myself when I'm interacting with people or anybody or anything. I always do it with an open mind and with respect. And if you do, if I do those two things, if anyone does those two things, that's you know going to lead to kindness. So yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ryan. I very much enjoyed our conversation, and uh, I wish you the best of luck. And I'm sure it's not <laughs> the last conversation that we will have on this no. podcast. Thanks, Christina. Pleasure. Thank you. For more information, you can go to followyourkind.com or follow me on Instagram at kindchristina. Please also subscribe to the show and give me a good review. Thanks for stopping by.